That's where modalities such as yoga, tai chi, qigong, fendrakreis, Alexander technique, all of these different type of movement therapies aim to restore proper alignment to gravity. Welcome to the Good Medicine Podcast. During this series of podcasts, we will explore thought-provoking topics related to health and wellness and take a fresh look at how integration of modern medicine with ancient methods of healing are leading the pathway to better therapeutic strategies, yielding long-lasting positive results. That and much more on the Good Medicine Podcast with your host, Fernando Bernal. I had intended on talking more about cholesterol this morning. I wanted to go back into the history of heart studies, the seven country studies, and so on, so that we have a better background of how we got to where we are today in our belief what causes atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease. However, I think that is always good to listen to our listeners and a listener call and ask if we offer physical therapy in our practice. And of course, we, we are not a physical therapy practice. We are a holistic functional medicine practice that offers acupuncture and uh, related modalities. However, it is within our scope of practice to offer therapeutic exercises. And as such, uh, we do offer uh, methods of rehabilitation that are uh, the aim to relieve pain. So in, in a nutshell, yes, we do offer a form of uh, physical therapy, but not such as you would find in an actual physical therapy practice by a licensed uh, physical therapist. So what do we do? Well, there are so many resources that one can uh go to in order to alleviate pain through movement. And one such resource that we use in our practice and have been using for many, many years is the practice of Tai Chi and Qigong. I'm going to tell you that there have been cases that nothing worked for back pain. Uh, they went to chiropractic, they had physical therapy, they had massage, they had acupuncture, they had you name it, and nothing relieved back pain until the patient began to use modalities such as Qigong, Tai Chi, standing meditation, that type of thing. And one reason is that when we begin to practice uh, disciplines such as Tai Chi, yoga, uh, Qigong, we begin to align our bodies to gravity better therefore removing a lot of muscular tension that is caused by misalignments. The body means to keep us upright, keep us from falling. We are bipedal beings, we walk on two feet, two legs, and uh, the body will do everything possible to keep us from falling down. And sometimes at, at the expense of injury to our joints because of misalignments, maybe we are leaning too much forward, maybe we have a, a pelvic tilt, of our posterior or anterior pelvic tilt, maybe our ankles are pronating, who knows? Whatever the reason it be, the body will keep us from falling, but at an expense. And that's where modalities such as yoga, tai chi, qigong, fendrakreis, Alexander technique, all of these different type of modalities or, or movement therapies aim to restore proper alignment to gravity. And what we use, of course, is Tai Chi and Qigong. So let me address Tai Chi first, and maybe if we have time, uh, we'll talk about Qigong. But I'm really, 
I'm in love with Tai Chi, not only because it's a graceful, beautiful uh, sequence of postures, but because it really has a lot of therapeutic benefits. And, you know, I have read many accounts of people who heal themselves from this and from that and from the other uh, using Tai Chi. And I was very skeptical about that. Yeah, right. How, how doing this series of postures is going to heal this or that or the other? But as the years have gone by, and the more I understand about the physiochemical reactions that take place as a result of movement, I have leaned more and more towards believing that a lot of these accounts that people talk about on Tai Chi circles are really true. And as we go on, I will explain why. So, what is Tai Chi? First, let's separate the term Tai Chi into two camps. First, Tai Chi is a philosophical construct that comes from Taoism, and that does date several thousand years. And it's the idea that we are to be one with nature, that space and matter are united, that type of Taoism uh, way of thinking. Fast forward now to what we see people practicing in the parks. Thousands and thousands of people every morning are out early, early practicing Tai Chi all over China, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, uh, here in the United States, uh, in Chinatown, San Francisco, Chinatown, New York, Chicago, anywhere where there is an Asian community, every morning thousands of people go out and practice Tai Chi. That Tai Chi is not the same as Tai Chi, the philosophical uh, concept or construct. Instead, this Tai Chi that we see people practicing in the parks it's really a sequence of postures that are predetermined and that you do in a slow, meditative fashion throughout your entire practice. And of course, anyone can learn Tai Chi, but in all honesty, Tai Chi is a lot of work the more you get into it. But in the beginning, it's totally fine to uh, not feel coordinated, don't not, not feel strength in our legs, uh, not being synchronized with our breathing. All of that is fine in the beginning, but as time goes on, we begin to then adapt to the principles that govern the, the systems. So the Tai Chi that we see today, people practicing in the parks, is not the same as its predecessor before it became a public practice. The Tai Chi before people practicing in the park was more martial in nature. They're the roots of the art form are in pugilism and boxing. And uh, so it was a self-defense method. But as time went on, it became more of a meditative uh, self-cultivation approach. And some people speculate that it was uh, an answer of the Chinese people to other cultures that were using other forms of physical movement for self-cultivation. I don't know. But be that as it may, it became it became a form of self healing through the practice of the movements. Often you hear people say that Tai Chi is thousands and thousands of years old. Well, as I said earlier, the the, philosoph the philosophy behind it, yes, it is. But the actual physical practice is not. You know, we can date it back to the 1700s, 1800s. The people that uh, started Tai Chi, the, the physical exercise, the, the movements, uh, were contemporaries to uh, Nap Napoleon and, and uh, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Washington, 
Thomas Jefferson. This is about the same era, same time that Tai Chi evolved in China. So it's not something that dates back thousands of years, but it's just, relatively speaking, is modern, relatively speaking, of course. And the term Tai Chi was not used for this movement of this practice uh, before. Uh, they called it different names. For example, the people in the Chen village in China, their system of boxing was called Chen Boxing or Chen Village Boxing. Uh, they, they chose different names for their style of boxing. But it wasn't until around the mid-1800s, 1850s thereabouts, that uh, family, uh, the Wu family, decided that the practice of Tai Chi, the physical practice of Tai Chi, was very reminiscent to the philosophy of Tai Chi, and that we work with softness to overcome hardness, where we yield instead of being confronted. And so they said, let's name this system of calisthenics after the philosophy of Tai Chi, in which the soft overcomes the hard and uh, yielding is better than confronting and so on and so forth. So the, it became called Tai Chi Chuan. But even at that time in the 1800s, Tai Chi was never taught in the public. It was always kept within the family uh, and a master would only teach that to his own private students and not to the multitudes, to, to the people in the streets and the parks. Because uh, remember that I said that a lot of Tai Chi in those days were fighting systems. In fact, many masters would not teach their daughters uh, Tai Chi in fear that if she marry someone from another family, that she then would share the martial art secrets of that style to the other family. So there was a lot of secrecy around the art of Tai Chi in the early days. But it wasn't until later on, around the 1920 or thereabouts, when it became public and it was being taught to everyone that wanted to learn this art form. People in the park began to learn Tai Chi. Thousands of people just gravitated to this system of movement because it was, well, graceful, and it was relatively easy to do. Uh, and what, by that I mean the, what was being taught in public was not similar to what was being taught in private. In fact, I read somewhere a while back that when they began to teach Tai Chi in public to people in, in, in the parks, that they removed around 50 squats out of the actual long series of postures to make it easier uh, for the general public to practice and kept the difficult parts of the art form privately to the private students so that they would develop a body that was able to fight and deal with adversity. So it was already changed somewhat. And that's okay. It's, that's not lamentable. It's okay because at the end of the day, what really matters when it comes to rehabilitation is that we move. The Chinese have a saying that says, water that moves does not smell. Water that moves does not smell. Another saying is, the door that opens and closes, its hinges will never rust. The door that opens and closes, its hinges will never rust. You can have a Rolls Royce, a real expensive car, put it in the garage, don't drive it, and that fancy expensive car will deteriorate will fall apart if you do not drive it at all. 
And it's similar to the body. If we do not move the body, we fall apart. So it's okay that Tai Chi was somewhat uh, made more appealing and easier to practice because it created movement. So water that moves does not smell. There are different styles of Tai Chi, just like in yoga. You have Bikram yoga, you have Kundalini yoga, you have different styles of yoga, same thing with Tai Chi, there are different styles of Tai Chi. You have Yang style, Chen style, Wu style, and Chen Man Ching style, all these different styles of Tai Chi. But one thing they all have in common is that they abide by a certain set of rules and principles that defines it as Tai Chi and not something else. The postures vary in length or in numbers. So one sequence of postures, when you put a whole sequence of postures together, is called a form. So some forms are 24 postures. Other forms are 37 postures, 48 postures, 64 postures, 108 postures, and there's one 160-some postures. I teach the 108 postures primarily. And the way that these postures are practiced is you go from one posture to the next, and it's always the same sequence in, 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 on, on that particular form. Now, the 24 may have a different sequence from the 48 and so on, but when you learn a form, you always practice the same sequence of postures. And when you go from one posture to another, you do it in a particular way, and the most important part of practicing these postures is that it be done slowly. And there's a good reason for that, and we will deal with that later on. The movement from one posture to the other is called a transition. And to the untrained eye, if someone is watching somebody practicing Tai Chi in the park, someplace outside, the untrained person would not be able to tell the difference between a posture and the transition. It all morphs, it all flows into each other so that you can't tell, well, was that the posture? Was that the transition? It is similar to what we call pareidolia. You know, when you look at clouds and the clouds, suddenly it looks like the Taj Mahal. And then seconds later, it turns into a St. Bernard dog. And then the longer you look at it now, it looks like an alligator. And it's just, it's changing shapes that in our minds we see these things that, well, they're not really there, but our mind is fabricating all of these different images, what we call pareidolia. Now, it's the same thing with Tai Chi. When you go from one posture to the other, to the other, and you complete the whole series, you transform in your postures into the other in a very seamless fashion. It is not obvious. You're not stopping. We say that Tai Chi is like a great river. It never stops. It keeps going. So that's the physical aspect of what we're actually doing, moving through space as in a slow, um, slow motion. And there are certain principles that need to be kept in order for this to be Tai Chi. Now, it, the beginner does not have those principles ingrained into his or her muscle memory. This comes with time. But it is important to keep in mind that these alignments are essential for the therapeutic effects of Tai Chi down the road. For example, the head needs to be held in a particular way so that the curvature of the cervical spine, the, the bones on your neck, are aligned in a certain way so there's not too much curvature, but it's not too straight. 
The low back, the lumbar area, same thing. The curvature that you see in a lot of people is too much curvature, too much tilt on their pelvis. Tai Chi requires that you somewhat uh, soften that part of your low back, make it flatter, if you will. But naturally, not straight. You still need that shock absorber curves that we have in our low back as well as in the neck. The hips need to be level. You know, the the word pelvis uh, means basin, a container. And if you have an anterior tilt or posterior tilt, the, the cargo, the con- content of that basin or that container gets spilled. So we aim at keeping the pelvis level. The knees are always soft. We don't practice Tai Chi with straight locked knees, so they're always soft. And the feet maintain a particular alignment that I will discuss later on. So these are all the different aspects of practicing Tai Chi as as a sequence of of postures. And in time, of course, we, we don't have all those skills in the beginning. No one does. But you know, the funny thing is that the minute you begin to practice Tai Chi, even though physically there might not be a lot of changes, internally, physiologically, all kinds of things begin to happen. Changes begin to emerge gradually. So if you did like a baseline assessment of one's health through blood work, for example, and then you did that again, say six months later, you will see changes in the chemistry because the practice of Tai Chi will affect our physiology and our metabolism, which is why some will consider Tai Chi a healing art. You know, someone said long ago that the best doctors, I think it was uh, Aristoteles, the best doctors offer the best medicine and that walking was the best medicine. And when I think about Tai Chi and we do Tai Chi walking, because we move from point A to point B, and we do it in a slow, meditative fashion, I can see very well why this is excellent medicine for a number of conditions. Now, I'm not going to be talking about, well, you can cure cancer with Tai Chi, you can cure AIDS with Tai Chi. I'm not not saying that at all. Of course, one never knows what the body chooses to do from any intervention, but I'm not making those claims. But the changes in health that I have seen in a lot of my patients and a lot of my students is really spectacular. It's, it's amazing. The, the, their breathing capacity, their mobility, their relaxation, the longer you practice, the more these qualities begin to emerge. And at some point, you realize the difference from day one that you started Tai Chi practice to, say, uh, six months later. And a lot of the studies that they have done were only like three months, six months. Some went to a year, and of course, there are some that are longer. But they have seen changes with just a short amount of time of three months where people's uh, breathing capacity, primarily the breathing, and also pain uh, decreases tremendously just from a three-month practice. It is well documented that Tai Chi Chuan has an effect on the various systems in our bodies. And what I would like to do with the time that we have left is to talk a little bit about how Tai Chi affects the cardiovascular system. So to appreciate how Tai Chi affects the cardiovascular system, let me talk to you first about the concept of the three hearts. In Tai Chi, we have three hearts. 
The first heart, of course, is the pump that we have in our chest that contracts and releases and contracts and releases. And with every contraction, it, it delivers blood to the lungs and to the rest of the body. And that's our first heart. The second heart is our legs. And the third heart is the abdomen. We know that much. But what about the legs? How are the legs considered a second heart in Tai Chi? Remember that I said earlier that the practice of Tai Chi as we go from one posture to the other is done in a very slow fashion. So if I'm going from posture A to posture B and I step out, say, with my left foot, my transition from A to B while my weight is on my left foot or on my left leg, is going to cause constriction, muscular contraction and constriction, and the deep arteries and the deep veins in the leg become, uh, I hate the word squeeze, if you will. And as that happens, blood flow increases. So as we put the weight of the body on that one leg slowly, the opposite leg is relaxing. It's not, it's, it's, it's in the air because it's moving, stepping forward while I shift the weight on, say, my left leg. So think about that relationship between the contraction of one leg and the releasing of the other. When we spoke earlier about the function of the heart that has a contraction and release, contraction and release, and during the contraction, the blood is pumped either to the lungs or to the body. So we have a similar situation here with our legs. As I put my weight on my left leg, it contracts and it promotes the flow of blood through that leg, while the other one relaxes. And this is why we say that the legs are the second heart, because they mimic the function of the heart. There is contraction and relaxation. And every time we do that, blood flow improves. Because when we're standing, of course, we're dealing with gravity, and the heart has to work hard in pumping blood into the arteries so that eventually they exchange into the venules, into the veins of, of, that bring blood back to the body. Now, keep in mind that veins have valves on them. These valves prevents blood from pulling back down towards the feet or towards the extremities. And so when we put the weight on one leg, the arteries, the deep arteries in the legs are being squeezed, so blood flows out stronger, and the valves on the veins open up so the blood can move upwards. So you can see how circulation is improved by the slow walking. Now, fast walking is good, but the slow movement really makes a difference in our circulation. And this is why they have found that many patients that suffer with hypertension, high blood pressure, have derived great benefit from the practice of Tai Chi. And, and, and there's more to it than just the fact that the legs are being contracted. There's also a development of new blood vessels into the muscles. So I said earlier that a lot of magic takes place in, in the capillaries and also in the arteries. And what happens is that when blood flows through an artery, say the arteries on my leg, I'll say my left leg, and there's constriction because my weight is on that leg, so the muscles tighten up to keep me from falling, that the sheer force, the sheer effect of the blood rushing through the artery 
has a physiological effect that through several signaling mechanisms, which I won't get into now, but through signals that the body has in, in the arteries, in the what's known as the endothelium, the part that's inside the, the tube of the arteries, this signaling mechanism causes what we call angiogenesis, angiogenesis, so the development or the creation of new uh, blood vessels, so that when you are developing new blood vessels in your legs because you are putting weight on that leg slowly, and therefore the muscles are squeezing the arteries, and now the pressure going through those arteries is higher, that that in itself creates this signaling mechanism uh, that causes this process of angiogenesis. So that's when we when we hear the word angina, we think angina arteries. So angiogenesis is the development of new blood vessels. And this happens as a result of signaling mechanism in the arteries from the sheer pressure, the sheer force from muscle contraction. So you can see how then someone's blood pressure may improve because now they have more vessels through which blood can flow. So now let's move upwards from the legs to the abdomen. And how is the abdomen considered a third heart? Well, the first thing to keep in mind is that when we practice Tai Chi, the pattern of breathing is what we call abdominal breathing. You see, the diaphragm is a muscle that looks like a dome. And when we contract the diaphragm, it pushes downward, and that facilitates more volume, more space for the lungs to receive more air. The rib cage expands, the intercostal muscles opens up the rib cage, the diaphragm drops, and now we can put more oxygen into the lungs. But another thing happens. When we do abdominal breathing, and we do it slowly, we are then squeezing that inferior vena cava, and when this vein gets squeezed, it then, of course, it rushes blood up to the heart. So you see how abdominal breathing contributes to this whole idea of the three hearts. So the first heart, of course, the pump in the chest. The second heart are the legs. And the third heart is the abdomen, as long as we are doing abdominal breathing. You've been listening to the Good Medicine Podcast. To learn more about our practice, see us on the web at thegoodmedicinepodcast.com or call us at 904-806-7123. That's 904-806-7123. Thank you for listening.